Hallelujah. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. God bless you all. You may be seated. God bless you. Awesome stuff. Thank you all for your kind reception. It's always a blessing to be here. I feel so great already, as always. Um, I had a fantastic time on the island yesterday. Awesome time. Um, I just want to encourage you guys that you are in a very special place, you know. Um, I always try. Can we have some more volume on this? I, I try as much as I can to be very straight and be very candid in my communication. And on a day like this, when you hold the microphone as a guest speaker in a church, part of what you have to do um, is to, I'm really going to appeal to you because once I get talking, I forget the microphone. So you, you have to pump the volume somehow. So when you come to a church like this, you have to say nice things about the pastor. You have to say nice things about the pastor's wife. You have to say nice things about the resident pastor, about the leaders. It's part of the protocol of ministry. Every time you hold the microphone, you say nice things, even if it's not true. <laughs> Just say nice things. So if I say what I want to say now, without saying what I'm going to say first. You guys are going to assume I'm just doing protocol of ministry. You know, he's just trying to say nice things about the church. But it's because you don't know me. I've gone to churches where I didn't say anything. I just picked the mic and I said, and I started teaching, right? I started teaching because if I say anything, right, that can be an investment into the diversity of the church, if you know what I mean. So I, 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 ha I have to keep quiet many times. Um, I'm not under any obligation to say anything about any pastor. Um, the freedom of my conscience is my greatest asset. I don't owe anybody any explanation. I don't owe anybody anything. So really, I don't have to. I'm the guy that if, you're, if something is oozing out of your mouth, I'm going to hug you very deeply and tell you your mouth is smelling. I'm, going to, I'm just going to tell you that. I mean, if you have a body odor, I will hug you very tight, but I will not fail to be the first announcer that you, you need to check yourself out. I do that with freedom. Um, you will be lucky to find another human being that will tell you that, even in your lifetime. So I, I've, I've just enjoyed my freedom. If I feel I really cannot, you can't handle my truth, then I will gift you with my silence as a deliberate attempt to keep you together. So honestly, quite frankly, um, I don't have to say what I want to say now. I said all of that to say, you are really in a fantastic church, I tell you. You are really in a fantastic church. You know, and, and you are being led by really special people. You know, let me tell you, I've, I've been around, I've been to so many places. One of the things you won't find easily in places is authentic leadership. And you have it so easily here. You should rejoice, you should celebrate it. You know, you, you are in a great church. Um, I'm not saying that because of your pastor is my friend, my personal friend. Um, I know him personally before all of this um, became like this, you know, and he's been so consistent over the years, you know, just so consistent, free, down to head, visionary, and strong. That's it. That's who he is. Um, 
with a huge sense of humor too, you know, awesome man of God. I want to appeal to you, find something to do in this house. This is the type of place that you get involved. Don't just warm the pews, join the workforce, find something to do, support the leadership, sow seeds of time, energy, and money. Do whatever you have to do. This type of work means to get bigger. Otherwise, you are going to get more people into the wrong places. And I say that with due respect. When you find authentic leadership, come around it, because you won't have that everywhere. You know, foolishness is always more common than wisdom. And whether you like it or not, somebody must be foolish for wisdom to continue to have value. That's just the reality. So the, the oppression of thoughts about foolishness should encourage the people that are right to come around authentic ideas. And that's what's going on here. Give the Lord a clap offering, everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to move very fast tonight, really fast. It's 7.33 p.m. already, don't forget. Um, and I have um, um, 50 minutes. I'm trying to rush all of that in. So the Lord help you all in Jesus' name. I have some products here. They are very expensive, and I'm not sorry. Um, this one is like 50,000 naira, 25 CDs, trove pack, selling in uh, six countries. Some of you have them already here. I've bought them at different times. I know you won't bring that much cash to buy from a guest speaker on a weekday service, even on a Sunday service. When a guest speaker is coming, you keep like 5K in your pocket to buy his books and all of that. So 50,000, you wouldn't have prepared for it. So I brought POS, two, two POS, so that all you need to do is swipe your card, the, the, the products come to me, the money comes to us, the product goes to you, amen. Two, so find time to go to my stand. I have two CDs here. This one is called Two Clothes Too Far, unveiling the mask in what you think you know. And I have another one called Charming, Silence, and Lethal, protecting yourself against the green enemy. These two CDs are selling for 10K each. Um, for tonight, I will sell both of them at 10K. Um, I'm going to advise you to please go out of your way. Even if for whatever reason, you really can't afford all of these 25 CDs, um, of which this is here. Go for these two. My counseling table has been filled lately with a lot of tears about people. And I think one of the critical things happening today is people don't know the difference between their allies and their adversaries. And one word that has become very complex that people are not studying is the word stranger. Most of us, when we think of a stranger, we think of somebody we've never met before. A stranger is not someone you've never met before. A stranger is anyone, dad, mom, cousin, wife, husband, friend, roommate, business partner, sibling, anyone you cannot vouch for their personal integrity is a stranger to you. Anyone you cannot vouch, even if it's your wife, even if it's your husband, even if it's your dad, even if it's your mom, anyone you cannot vouch for their personal integrity is a stranger. And the Bible says, he that stands surety for a stranger is a fool. The Bible says, take his bed, take his garment that strikes in hand in pledge for a stranger. So understand that. And then the next one I have, envy is not jealousy. And you need to know the difference. If, if, if you have a wife who is not jealous, you should be worried. If you have a husband who is not jealous, you should be worried. God is a jealous God. Jealousy is intense, intense protection and promotion of what is rightfully yours. Envy is intense promotion and protection of what is not rightfully yours. 
And so you need to understand the difference and to know that jealousy is positive, envy is negative. And there are four types of envy, and there is a science that manages it. If you don't understand the type of wisdom I've analyzed here about envy, there's strategic envy, um, there's popular envy. Popular envy says, you are my enemy, I don't want you to have what you have, I, I don't want you to have anything that you have. Those kind of people, you will identify them easily. You will know them easily because they can't hide it. Their conduct, their behavior will reveal who they are. But a strategic envy is the most lethal of the four types of envy. Strategic envy says, I want you to have all you have. And it's true. I rejoice that you have all you have. You should have your shoes, your house, your wife, your children. I'm so excited that you have them. And it's true. I don't just understand why I don't have it. So that kind of person can be your best friend. That kind of person can be your best neighbor, can be your roommate, can be anybody, can be your brother, you know. So you need to understand. There's contented envy as well. You need to understand that as well. That's where communism is. That's where socialism is. A lot of artisans. That one says, I don't mind if I don't prosper as long as nobody is prospering. So um, it's, it's supposed to be common pain and common, it's, it's incredible. So you need to invest in all of this. They will help you out. They'll really help you out. I know what I'm saying. They will help you in business. They will help you in your realities, whatever it is you're handling. So make the investment. Um, it's about 10 times less than the cost of Brazilian air. So almost all the ladies here can afford it. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Don't be jealous. Love me. Don't be envious. Brother. Open your Bibles very quickly to Matthew in chapter 9. I'm going to read very fast. Matthew in chapter 9. I'm reading verse 18. Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 18. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as, the, let me jump. So I jump to number, verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wine skins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, we come to you as we are, aware of our feelings, conscious of your grace and your mercy, and your power and the strength that you so graciously share. This evening, we are not going to be challenged in any way. We are going to be changed simply. We are just going to be better. We are going to shift from point A to point B. Whatever those points are for each of us here tonight. Precision in the spirit. Clarity of understanding. Resolve in our spirit. New vistas, new frontiers, new territories. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for the integrity of your word. Somebody is moving today. Somebody is growing. Somebody is crossing to a new space. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for healing inside out. In the name of Jesus. Momentum, creative action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I can come down, right? Thank you, Pastor. I just met Pastor again today. Thank you, sir, for all that you do. I forgot to um, say something about that. Thank you. Thank you for your hospitality. So, guys, the Bible says, wow, I felt the AC. Let me stay here. The Bible says you don't put new wine into old wine skin. You really don't put new wine into old wine skin. 
if you put new wine into old wineskin, both will be lost. Both the wine and the new wineskin. The idea is the skin is too old to be able to contain the freshness and the expansion of something fermenting. So it's only a matter of time it will be incapable of carrying the newness and the freshness in the new wine. So part of what's going to happen is that sincerely, without any determination, without anybody organizing any evil, it's just going to happen as a normal cause. And that is why I tell people every time there's some pain and some evil in your life that will happen because of the wrong positioning that you have in your life. And most of us at times we are overqualified for our present status. We are so determinedly keeping a fading season in our life. And we use so much stress and so much energy. We spend a lot of money and resources keeping things in our life that should be fading away, that should be going. We are so loyal to what had worked yesterday. We are so loyal to a prevailing experience or to a successful, prosperous experience that we forget that it's going to change. Just like the Pharisees in the Old Testament, they were so loyal to the New Testament, sorry, to the Old Testament, to the law and the prophets, they were so loyal to the entire idea of the old that they forgot that the Messiah they were coming is going to come in a different container, different from the one they had known. And there is a sense in which you can be so loyal to what is working and forget that it's going to change. Therefore, there's something called creative rebellion. Rebellion at a level where you are able to self-evaluate and self-question. Where you are able to almost pretty much predict or discern the end of an era and to begin to organize yourself for the new one. When they got the Old Testament, nobody told them this Old Testament is temporal. The Lord did not say, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Old Testament for a while. He just told them, I gave you the Old Testament. And it is in the Old Testament that they have writings such as Whatever the Lord does is permanent. Nobody can add, nobody can remove it. He does it that men may fear him. So they've learned that as well. Whatever the Lord does is permanent. So they thought, if the Lord is the one doing this Old Testament, it wasn't called Old Testament, it was the Testament. If the Lord is the one doing this Testament, it must be permanent. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so loyal to it, the Messiah they were waiting for all their life came and they persecuted him. And a lot of times in the face of change, you can be so determinedly holding on to what is going to kill you. Determination is not a factor of production. Land, labor, capital, entrepreneur, you can't find determination there. People are sincerely in jail. People are sincerely poor. People are sincerely frustrated. People are sincerely raped, sincerely destroyed on a daily basis. People are sincerely suffering. People, people, you can be so determined. Do you, can you imagine if a fish begins to complain about the economy of the sea. And it's like, this sea, you know, the tilapias are too desperate these days. We need to organize something against the croakers. Let's find something to do. The jungle is our next destination. Let's relocate, you know. And then with determination, they are moving to the jungle. Because they are independent variables, they will have the right, just like an adult, to, go to, to do whatever you will. So they will get into the jungle with determination. But because the environment in the jungle is not built for a fish, they are going to die without less determination. You can't jump into the swimming pool and swim on your own terms. You can't jump into a pool and say, I want to swim like this. This I'm going to swim all through today. Now, because you are an adult, you will have your way. Because nobody can choose your life for you. You will have your way, you will have your terms. 
But quite frankly, you are going to perish on your terms as well. Because there is a protocol of swimming. You must know that protocol. You must learn the protocol. As a matter of fact, you must master the protocol. Then you must yield to the protocol for you to swim successfully. If by any articulation or any silly assumption, you assume that the protocol is not true, because you are an adult again, you will have your way, but you are going to die on that way. So there is a protocol to things. There is a way things should work. The Bible says wisdom and understanding shall be the stability of thy times and the strength of salvation. And a lot of times we miss the idea about change. And yesterday I articulated very strongly the idea that when you read statements like we are leading change, statements like we are driving change, statements like we are birthing change, they sound right. So many great books in the world have articulated the possibility of driving change, of leading change, of birthing change. But quite frankly, when you really look at it, you can't, you can't birth change. Change is not like a human being. Change is what creates the human being. Change is an independent variable. It's not a manipulatable quantity. Every time when people say they are birthing change, they are leading change, what, what they are doing that they don't know, or what they are trying to say without knowing, is that they are responding to the arrival of change or to the outcome of change because change at its earliest arrival is noiseless. You don't see it. You don't hear it. You have to be at a level of consciousness. You have to be at another level of awareness for you to be able to pick the very beginning of change. You know, yesterday I told them if you sleep with somebody that is HIV positive, you don't hear an alarm. Or a sharp pain. Boom! Say, what's that? You are HIV positive. Oh, come on. Why didn't you tell me? You should have told me. You don't hear any sound? If you sleep with her or you sleep with him, you are going to enjoy the sex like before. You are going to get up like before. You are going to feel cool like before. You are going to come to climax like before. Everything will be perfect. The semen will not be dry because it's HIV positive. Your head will not turn to the other side because it's HIV positive. Everything's going to be perfect. You are going to get up like before and walk away with all the swag that you brought in. But as you are walking away, so is your life walking away. You, you, you're pretty much like dead in that minute, but nothing is showing. No announcement is seeing anything. There's no pain. There's no discomfort whatsoever. And something as serious as your entire life was arrested in that minute. And you felt nothing. That's how change is. If a woman conceives now out of sexual intercourse and she gets pregnant, she doesn't hear bones come together. What? I'm pregnant. Come on, what are you doing? No. She doesn't hear anything. She doesn't feel anything. But change has begun. Massive change, the birth of a new life has begun. Give it three weeks. Give it one month. By the time she says, I'm pregnant, that's not the beginning of change. That is the arrival of change that you are now responding to. Am I talking to you? When Samson lost virtue, he didn't know. Something as massive as his entire strength. This is the source of your strength. This is the instrument of your relevance. Your air 
must not be cut off. You must do everything. He, he left him. He didn't know. How can your greatest strength and your greatest power leave you in a subconscious way? The Bible said he got up like before. He wanted to go. That means by the way he was feeling, by the way the environment was, nothing suggested that virtue had left. That is why there are unconscious losses. You can lose something you are not even aware that you lost. You won't even feel bad. You won't even cry. You won't even complain to anybody because you are not even aware that anything left you. It is in the day of contradiction that you realize that something is missing here. Am I talking to you? And something got up like before. Nothing was gone. Nothing was there. Noiseless effect. HIV, noiseless effect. Conception of a baby, noiseless effect. That's change. Virtue living, living, living something, noiseless. When David was anointed, hmm, he didn't get a crown on his head until 13 years after. Nothing around me showed him that he was king of Israel. But change has begun. That's the new king right there. But not, when Saul was rejected as king, the crown was still on his head. As a matter of fact, the crown was there for another 13 years. He must have thought to himself, finally, the words of Samuel can fall to the ground. He said, I've been rejected. This is the fourth year. I'm still here. Fifth year, I'm still here. Ten years after he said, I'm rejected. I'm still the king. This Samuel must be finally, God has left him. You know, but God has not left him. You just don't understand the character and the science of change. Because change are managed in dispensations and with palliatives. You see, when, 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 when Anna was barren, hmm, it, 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 it wasn't a desperation that brought the baby. The Bible said the Lord shot the womb of Anna. The Lord shot the womb. That means, and whatever the Lord shuts, no man can open. Yes, sir. So there's no prayer point that can open the womb. Because the Bible said the Lord shot her womb. Okay? So there's no, there's no desperation that could have shot it. You see, the baby, the baby that is destined to proceed out of Anna is a baby that will take over the priesthood from Samuel. Sorry, from Eli. So it can't be born when Eli is still 42. Uh, it can't be born when Eli is still in charge. So he had to be born towards the end of the ministry of Eli so that by the time Eli is fading, a new quantity can come on the force. Because automatically when power is fading, it's an automatic announcement of the arrival of newness. And so the baby in the womb of Anna was destined for something. And guess what? And God also needed a desperation to be able to give him permanently to the Lord. Maybe if the baby had come on time, he would have become a lawyer. Or become a doctor. Or become a scientist. So all of that desperation said, Lord, I, I will give him to you. Now you are ready. And you are not just ready. Even after she prayed a prayer and Eli prayed with her, she didn't get it immediately. The Bible said at the time of life, it, it still took time. There's still an arrangement. There's still a design. Am I talking to you today? The question before you is, do you understand that if you are ready, you are late? The concept of readiness is a myth. 
That is why, you see, when they made the first Windows software, they knew that there would be Windows 2, Windows 3, Windows SP, Windows whatever it is. But they were not going to wait for all of that to come into the horizon before they release it. The same thing with your Samsung Note, or your iPhone 1, or iPhone 5, or iPhone X, or iPhone this. They see all these things, you see, at times, in your pursuit of excellence, you are just running away from yourself, running away from God, and because you have surrendered to the possibilities out there that you are not sure you can meet up with, you hide all of that low self-esteem under the idea of the pursuit of excellence. If you have an idea that keeps you indolent and you are not able to hit the market and get out there because you are pursuing one excellence, if we come near you, we will see that right there, right there is low self-esteem. A lot of times the pursuit of perfection the pursuit of so-called excellence and waiting for the perfect time, and I want this thing to be like this, is because you are dealing with another type of esteem because you are not unsure of your positioning in the mainstream of activities. So a lot of times, the ideas that you keep incubating and incubating, and you never, you don't, as the idea shepherd, tell yourself what idea will work or not. You leave that to the market. Your responsibility is to create an idea. Your other duty is to push it out. It is the market that will tell you if it's the right idea or not. Am I telling you? Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't be talking to yourself in the bedroom or in one research room and be fooling yourself that you are performing. The market is an arrogant force. And it has no loyalty. If you want to test the strength of your idea, you throw it out. That could be it. Millionaire. And the idea can fail. What it says to you is go back and re refire again. But you can't stay in your bedroom and be telling weak minds like you and fooling everybody that we are planning for something. You are, you, this is sympathetic resonance. Foolishness, weakness, and mediocrity coming together to run around that idea and fooling yourself that you are trying to go somewhere. You're not going anywhere. This is why you are going to be somebody who's going to release the idea. Because every idea is a window. Tonight, I want you to consider the idea that your next move is waiting for you. All your excuses are nonsense. Any, any excuse you have about your idea that keeps you indolent and eliminate momentum and creative action in your life is a self-initiated attack to slow down your destiny. And don't forget, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Never forget that. There's grace for anything coming to you outside in. But when it is inside out, the weapon you form against yourself, oh, it has prospered. That one, see... It has prospered over five months. Before, before even born, it has been prospering. There is no grace for the weapon you form against yourself. That one is going to prosper. The one formed against you, I tr trust me, it can never prosper. You know what we do? We are so focused on the weapons formed against us, we have very little investment on the weapon we form against ourselves. So when we are going through our nonsense, we get so busy looking for the excuse and who to blame for where we are, when in actual fact we are the one tying ourselves down on one spot. Am I talking to you? There is, no, there is no patient poor man. Once you find a poor man, is a very impatient person. If you say, boy, the guy is very gentle. No, he's subdued. Poverty has subdued him. He's not patient. The Bible says, let patience have his perfect course so that you can be entire, lacking nothing. Patience is not just virtue, it's antidote for poverty. When you are a patient person, you force deception or truth to reveal itself. 
When you find somebody who is poor, just can't you see all these bus drivers and all these bus conductors? Can't you see the way they move? That is the justification for their state. Foolishness is not an insult. It's a state of existence. And people can, you can carry foolishness with class. It doesn't matter. You can carry it with a lot of piety. You can, you can carry their handsome fools. They're very pretty dummies there. Six foot tall, broad chested, empty minds. And guess what? Some people are so poor in this life, all they have is money. Oh, you don't get that. That's all they have. No character, no sense of mission, no sense of thoroughness, no sense of execution, nothing else. Somehow they stumbled on this wealth, and that's it. Once you remove what they are wearing, remove their shoes, remove their makeup, they will be as fearful as a cage rat. You won't even believe it. Because all of their confidence is right there in their container. They forget that there's something superior to container. It's called content. And that one, that one has to be intentionally gathered. They don't, they, they, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't gather content by default. You, you, can gather, you, can, you can be beautiful by default. All you need to do is to be born. The day arm robbers attacked me, I saw handsome arm robbers for the first time. That's when I lost respect for handsomeness. I realized any fool can be, can be handsome. There are 16 things any fool can do. Any fool can get angry. Any fool can sleep. Any fool can cough. Any fool can be handsome. Come on now. Some of you are disappointed. So this my handsomeness is nothing. I'm telling you, it's nothing. You are so disappointed. <laughs> I can see some ladies that look at her and say, yes. Container has a lifespan any day. Whether you like it or not, people will not. You see, when they are looking at you now, when the more they look at you, the more you throw yourself off. When they look at you, you say, yeah, man. You know what they are looking at. Just at 30 years to your age, when they look at you, you look at yourself. What are they looking at? Maybe something is torn. Because you two, you know you lost your right to be observed. You know. That's called wear and tear. It's called old age. So what is it that you can really anchor this thing on and say that you are true? See, I mean, you are just through like that and you are free, you can run. Let me tell you. It's so easy for you to be bound under something that makes sense to you, but that's just what it does. It makes sense to you, and it's not going to make sense to anybody else. Am I talking to you? And you have to come to a place of strength where you can actually learn to design your next level, but most importantly, to commit to it. To be able to commit to your next level. And next level is a choice, guys. Don't fool yourself. It's like saying, um, I'm going to do it today. The word today is a very relative term. If you say, I'll do it in the afternoon, you are saying afternoon because you are in Nigeria. Your afternoon is not a universal idea. It's sensitive to geography. Because go to another country, it's night. If you say tomorrow, some people are sitting today. Do you understand what I'm saying? By the time you are in 12, 12 p.m. here, it's 6 a.m. in somewhere in another country. It's 3 a.m. somewhere else. So when you say tomorrow, what are you saying? What do you mean? When you say today, what does that even mean? It means what you think it means. It means something in your universe, not in the universe. Because in the universe, it means different things. 
You see, there's no such thing as tomorrow. There's no such thing as tomorrow. Tomorrow is an idea, it's an arrangement by God to keep curiosity alive, to keep hope meaningful, to keep you optimistic, to keep you enthusiastic. In practical terms, there's no such thing as a future. There's no such thing as tomorrow. Have you ever been in tomorrow before? Let me ask you a question. When you say good morning, what do you mean? You are in the morning. You can feel the morning. The morning is a kinetic experience, not a potential experience. Not something you are hoping will be morning. You can feel the coolness of the morning. You know you are in the morning. When you say good afternoon, you are in the afternoon. You can feel the heat. You can feel the sun. You know you are in the afternoon. When you say good evening, you are in the evening. You can feel the coolness of the evening. You know you are in the evening. When you say good night, you can see the dark. You know you are in the night. When you say good life, you know you are breathing. You are in the life. Will you ever have the blessing or the misfortune of saying good future to somebody? Hey, man, what a future, man. Good future, like good morning, good afternoon. Can you ever do that? Because today was once a future. The next 15 minutes is a future. When you get there, it's not going to be called future. Yesterday was once a future. Every time you arrive in the future, you call it today. You call it moment now. In practical times, you have never arrived in the future to experience it like you arrive in the morning and to experience it like that. You've never been in the future before. The future is nothing but an idea. Yesterday is an experience. Tomorrow is an idea. Today is the critical platform of exchange. As a matter of fact, today is all you will ever have. And so part of what you need to begin to do now is to begin to find the loopholes in the best of what is on ground. You see, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9, if, if you can project that, do that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says something. It said, what will be is what has been. Then it said, that which has been is what will be. That which has been is what will be. Then he said, that which is done is what will be done. And he said, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, when you hear those kind of things, you can think, this is where the Bible missed it, but we, can, we have to support God. There's something new under the sun. There's AC. It wasn't there when the Bible was written. There's wristwatch. It wasn't there when the Bible was written. It's new under the sun. Bluetooth was new under the sun. But you see, there's nothing new under the sun. I'm going somewhere. The concept of newness is a human description of another type of experience. When all things happen to new people, we call it new. Hmm? When an old thing or an old experience is happening to new people, then we say the, the changing factor is the people and how they can adapt to their generation. In practical terms, there's nothing new. For example, the sand has always been there. You can be tempted to say glass cup is new, but glass cup is heated sand. You can say paper is new, but paper is trees. It has always been there. There was electricity in the Garden of Eden. They just know how to create it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if you look at those two words, look at those phrases. That which has been. What's the one word for what has been? One word for what has been. Past. I love that. Everybody say past. One word for what will be. Come on now. One more time. Good. So if you rephrase these statements with those two words, what will you say? The past is future. The past is the future. 
Have you heard motivational speakers say that you create your tomorrow? No, tomorrow creates today. Because tomorrow is not real. You don't create zero. <laughs> can, you, can anybody create zero? Zero is zero. Because tomorrow is not real, it can't be created. So the idea of the possibilities of tomorrow is what keeps you regulated today. That's why the Bible says the plans of the fool is on the ends of the earth. And I add, he sees so close to the future, he forgets where he is. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Listen to me. The, Jesus, the Bible said, what the past is the future. The past is the future. And what you call the past is a successful collection of many todays. So in practical terms, the past and today are twins because you can't create the past without today. Every day you create a new past. Every moment you create a new past. The last five minutes was, in, it was, was just today. It was just a moment now. It's in the past now. By the end of today, we'll have created a new past. That is why you don't have to worry about the negativeness and the negativity of your history. Every day you have a new chance to rewrite that history. By living today presently and living well, you built a new type of past. And you can feel the jacket of your experiences so much that your newness that you are creating will bury and push out every old negative history in your past. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the science in that statement is this. This wristwatch looks perfect. How many of you are ready for your next move now? Because you are going to leave here tonight and you're going to do something. Right? This wristwatch looks like a perfect wristwatch, isn't it? Like there's nothing wrong with it. And it's quite nice. But you see, in the excellence of a theme, shoe, you, belt, clothes, car, machine, phone, in the excellence of a theme is an incompletion or a loophole hmm? which tomorrow's people must build solution blueprints around to birth the next level of that theme. The next level of this wristwatch is trapped in this wristwatch as a loophole, as an imperfection. Planet Earth cannot contain perfection. Once a perfect information gets into planet Earth, it becomes imperfect. Nothing on Earth is perfect. No human being is perfect. We receive in part, we know in part, we prophesy in part. Am I talking to you? Everything on Earth exists in a partial um, state. Three things you see every time when you look at a wristwatch. The wristwatch is in a state of existence. It is also in a season of usefulness. Because 100 years from now, 10 years from now, you will not have this wristwatch, this microphone again. It's going to be something else. Am I talking to you? Then it's in a partial state of existence. The partial state and the partial state of existence and usefulness is so key. Listen to this. Because inside this wristwatch, inside this microphone, and inside your shoe, it's the next level of the shoe. Now, if this microphone can be perfect today, tomorrow's people will have no engagement. Then Jesus has to come now. It is the imperfection in the substances that you know today that guarantee engagement for those coming after. So, imperfection is a gift. Just like ignorance is a gift. If you can't celebrate ignorance, you cannot grow. Ignorance in yourself and ignorance in others. As a police officer, you should be able to shoot a gun. 
Ignorance that remains ignorant after the impact of training is a vice. That's the one we worry about. Ignorance that has not been impacted by training is opportunity for growth. So, for example, if you are a police officer and you cannot give somebody an injection, it's okay. That's why you are ignorant. You lean on the doctor. But you must, you must accept that you are ignorant in that area first. Now, as a medical doctor, you don't have to be able to shoot a gun. You don't have to be able to cock a gun and arrange a gun and, and service a gun. A policeman should do that. So what do you do? You humble yourself in that area and lean on the strength of a police officer whose job is to do that. Am I talking to you? So imperfection is a gift. And part of what you need to do is to be able to find that loophole in all that you do. Now, when you find big inventors in the world, you find scientists who create stuff, who build new ideas, all they have learned to do is to think vertically and think horizontally. Horizontal thinking is the spirit of innovation, the spirit of improvement. And all they do in that area is to question the excellence of what is prevailing. Because at every point in time when something is working great, don't get so excited about the success that you forget that it's a temporary idea. And if you don't believe that, talk to Kodak. If you really have a problem with that, talk to Yahoo. Talk to Nokia. Nokia was King Kong of phones. Mm, was bought cheaply. Do you know how much they bought Yahoo for? Yahoo has been offered billions of dollars before. They rejected it. Finally, their humility emerged in the face of contradiction. It was bought for $400 million. Come on now. And so if you can't sit in the idea that the best of you has come for a season, and that whether you like it or not, you can't create it. Seed time and harvest shall never cease. And you cannot sow once and never and terminate your need to sow in the future. No matter how hard you work, no matter how great your idea is, it's going to fade at some time. And it's either you find that fading, find the loophole, and create or align with this next solution, or a new kid on the blog is going to get in and kick you out. Are you here? So, in taking this home, in concluding, right, the next question should be, so how do you roll? What do you do? How do you sit in your newness? What are the kind of things you need to begin to do so that you keep yourself on the edge of your moves? Let me tell you, first of all, you have to respect your decisiveness above your commitment to make a, wrong, a right decision. Some of us want to make a right decision that we become so indecisive. What you don't know is that God will rather have you decisive than have you waiting to make the right move. Because no matter the decision you make anyway, all things work together for good. Yes, sir. Yes. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That scripture is an arrangement for your imperfection. If you can make it work for yourself every time, you don't need that scripture. You won't always figure it out. And if you are waiting for everything to be perfect, you will never get anything done. And so what do you need to do? You have to quit your, you know, conviction is not a proof of legitimacy or justice. Because the terrorist is convinced about something. No matter how convinced you are about something, in fact, you have never been wrong, so you have never been right, sorry. Many times you've been right in your life because you were convinced. And you ended up right about your conviction. But there is no time you have been wrong without initially thinking you were right. Yes, sir. 
And if for 25 years, I don't know how old you are, 33 years, 44 years, you've been right many times, but all the times you have been wrong, you thought you were right. By now, you should have lost some confidence in the feeling of being right. Such that your conviction at times is the beginning of your fact-finding. Oh, come on, is that too complex? Did you hear me? So you need an open posture. Stay open. The way it works is, if you're... If your heart does not condemn you, that's scripture, 1 John chapter 5, you have confidence before God. Now you are an imperfect man receiving instruction from God about a thing. Some of you say, I want to be sure. I want to be sure God is talking to me. I pray without season. I tell, if, if this thing is hot now, and you touch it, and it's burning you, do you, do you say, Lord, this thing is burning me, should I leave it? This thing is so hot, I must acknowledge you in all my ways. We even have time to pray. Once you touch it, what do you do? You leave it. When you leave it, what do you say? Thank God. For what? You heard him clear. Leave it. <laughs> you, you, you heard his voice. Leave the metal. When you are hungry, do you say, Lord, I'm hungry, should I eat? You know that's God's voice telling you to obey the system I've created in you. That's why you have to exercise. You have to eat right. These are obedience to the creations of God. God gave you a brain. For it to refuse to work is an insult on his creation. God gave you eyes. God gave you nose. They are all spiritual tools. The Bible says those who, who through practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Have their senses. Your senses can find divinity. Your senses can discern evil. That's why senses is building Bluetooth, is building internet, is building cars, is doing all kinds of issues. A car is not a testimony. When you rejoice that you bought a car, it's your years in poverty that has fooled you. <laughs> what you are celebrating is an escape. There are so many people buying that car who don't go to church at all. Yes, they don't do prayer of faith, they don't have angelic support, they don't do prayer of agreement, there's no laying of, of hands. And they are working out superior customer care, market product development, market segmentation. They make the money again and again. And they are not cheating anybody. And then you want to make the same money? You call angels, prayer of agreement, gift of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, vigil, angelic support, fasting, prayer, laying on of hands, seed faith, tithe offering, just to do the same thing somebody else is doing with common sense. That's like you are using a truck to pull a chair that somebody can carry with a finger. You know what I call that? Labor loss. That's too much investment in a simple direction. Using complexity to deal with simplicity. That's like trying to say I'm going out. And you said my commitment now is to celebrate the fact that I have, I have the right of movement and I want to go out. Why are you saying all of that? All you need to say is I'm going out. Unnecessary complexity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because of time, I need to go out of your face. But understand this, guys. The part of what you need to understand. Can I have about five, ten minutes more? Five, ten minutes more? Deal? Thank you, sir. I'm going to get out. But listen. Listen to this. The first thing you do, therefore, is stay open. Stay open. If you want to leave this room, maybe there are four entrances. One, two, Three, four, five. Let's assume there are five entrances. One of these doors, maybe if you go through that one, there is a bar of gold and $10 million in front of the door for you. You know it is in one of these doors, but you are not sure which one. 
So what do you do? You begin to pray. Lord, which of these doors? Which of these doors? Because four of them have lions. Only one has bar of gold and $10 million. Which of these doors? Then some of you, that's what you are going to pray and that's what you are going to be till you hear yourself. But the Bible says, if you eat from doubt, you are condemned already. Because your eating is not from faith. But the Bible says, blessed is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Romans 14, 35. And the Bible says, if your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. So what do you do? Lord, what should I do? You have acknowledged him. What you want, does he break the word of God? Is he against the scripture? No. Do you have peace with it? Yes. Does your heart condemn you? No. Does your conscience say you should do it? You do it. Once your God knows that you are imperfect, and God knows that you will not always figure it out, what God is looking for is the state of your heart, not your sound decision. He said, I know your strength, and I know your strength is little, but you have kept my word. Therefore, I place before you an open door, which no man can shut. The open door is not before you because of your intelligence. It's not before you because of your clarity. It is before you because of your obedience. Because you have kept my word. Your strength is little, no doubt. So you don't even qualify. So I don't need your best to give you my best. I don't need, sorry, I don't need you to give the best out there to get my best. All I need is your best in my word. And I will give you the best out there. So what is happening is, do what you have to do. So once your heart does not condemn you, you pray to God, and you believe that God, this is where the money is. This door. I'm going through this door. You believe that's what God is telling you. Let me tell you. God knows that your problem is not with his voice. It's not with obedience. If God can just appear and tell you, my boy, this is the door. You will obey. Obedience is not your problem. You want to obey, but as man, you are struggling with what to do. God has seen your heart. You see, Abraham, Abraham did not kill Isaac, but he was going to kill Isaac. But when they reported it in the book of Hebrews, they said he received Isaac back from the dead. Meaning that to God, Isaac was dead already. Even though he didn't commit the thing physically, he did it in his heart. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord is like a lamp in the heart of a man, searching the strength of his actions. No, the innermost part of his being. You say, God doesn't judge as man judge. God looks at the heart, man looks at the appearance. And so God knows that if only I can show him where the door is, even if there are 2,000 lions there, he will go. His problem is not with doing what I want, but he doesn't know. So in his small mind, in his limitation as man, after praying to me, he thought I said he should go this way. So he went this way in faith and in obedience. God honors faith. You know what's going to happen? All things will work together for your good. Because you love God and you are called according to his purpose and you are not trying to do your own thing. You are doing that because you believe that is what God wants you to do. God wants to be believed. He said, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, once you pass through that door, as you come out, you just see three angels have moved the gold from there to that place. Actually, once you are acting in faith, you can take any door. God is there waiting for you. Hey! 
as long as your heart is pure with him and you have prayed, you search his face and in your limitation as man, you perceive that this is what God wants you to do. You will go in there and God will be there with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if it is the dumbest of idea, as long as it was done, believing in him, you will walk through fire, you will not be burnt. It will take you through the valley of the shadow of death and you come out stronger. The idea is God is with you. So quit your perfection thinking. Woe to him who will not do what he has to do. You do what you have to do. That's the first thing. Number two, take responsibility for anything that happens to you. Anything. Stop looking for who to blame. You know the idea that somebody can be doing you. Have you heard it before? Somebody is doing you. Somebody is in one room now calling your name. And it's affecting you in Ibadan, where you are. There's nothing like that in the Bible. I'm sorry. Every time you are praying, so it's kind of prayer. That's what we see your time. Nobody is doing anybody. Who is the, do you know? Give me an example of one person in the Bible that they were doing. That they, somebody entered one room, and from that room, they were calling his name and mandalating his destiny, and it was affecting where he is. Give me one example. You see? Is your destiny more important than the destiny of Jesus Christ? If they want to manipulate somebody's brain, is it not Jesus Christ they should have done it to? How did they attack Jesus Christ? In the spirit? How did they attack him? Not just physically, strategically. Anybody, where can he be born? Research. Bethlehem. Good. First level. Second level. How old can he be now? He can't be older than two. Perfect. Third level. Anybody between age one, zero and two, kill them. Can you see strategy? It was such a perfect strategy that Evan responded. Evan went to jo- Joseph and said, take the child because God doesn't make second best move. If there was another way to save Christ, he would have done it. That anything God does is the perfect one. He went and said, if you don't move this child, this is the end of prophecy. These guys have planned, they've strategized, they've cornered him. The only way out now is not to stay there and say, I'm with you. Or angels, come and appear. This, they will be here, everybody here. So take this child and go to Egypt, period. And then he moved. Strategy. They were not calling a meeting in heaven and saying, demons, where are you? When, when the devil attacked Christ and make his best move on Christ, what did he do? He planned and strategized and put Christ on the cross. When God was going to make his best move too, he was to put Christ on the cross. Yes. So at the height of the devil's move was the height of God's move. And then the devil did everything and finished. And just when he finished, he said, I'm done. God said, I'm done. He said, no, you can't be done. You can't be done. I'm done. Listen. 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 He said, you can't be done. God said, no, I'm done. He said, you can't be done. I did everything. He said, yes, you do everything. And just when you are done, I've done everything. Can't you see that you are just a simple obedient staff? executing my agenda and my wish. Let me tell you how God, God prays. God takes his agenda and converts it into a virus and install it into the thinking and the commitment of the devil so that he can own it. Because the devil is the one that comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And there are dirty jobs in this work. And you must understand that power dynamics dictate that the one who breached the order of peace must be alive to organize his restoration. Power dynamics dictate so. That is why the devil was not killed in the Garden of Eden. Even though he created the problem, power dynamics dictate that he must be alive to organize the restoration. 
the dirty jobs cannot be done by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt anyone. So it is the devil that can kill, that can steal, that can destroy. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So who is going to shed the blood? God will shed the blood. If Gabriel will shed the blood, the devil is going to shed the blood. So what's going to happen? We're going to keep him alive and it's going to work and it's going to do the dirty jobs amongst fallen men in a fallen system. But guess what? Just when it's done, God is done. I don't care what the devil is doing in your life right now and how much work is moving and why you think it's powerful. When he is done doing all the maneuvers and everything, God is taking all the glory. Let me close. You see, God called a meeting. God called a meeting. You see, first of all, have you read the book of Job before? Job said two things you must learn. First of all, Job said, my groaning comes at the sight of my food. That means when Job sees chicken, turkey, and meat, and fish, pastor, he says, ah, I hope this thing won't stop. I hope I won't lose all this money. The second thing he said, he said, what I fear has come upon me. So when he sees his children, he sees his big house, he's always saying, I hope I won't lose this thing one day. I hope they won't go one day. Unfortunately for him, that was his behavior to $3 billion. God blessed you with $3 billion and you cannot sleep. You are wondering whether I will lose it. Meanwhile, he still wants to give you $3 trillion in your next phase. And here you are, you can't rest because of $3 billion. So he said, if $3 billion can scatter this man like this, if I give him $3 trillion, he will just lock himself in the room. He will not come out again. So what do we do? We got to remove this thing inside him that cannot help him take more. Because we want to give him more. But he's so loyal to what is working. He has forgotten that every blessing is a face and a season. Bigger ones are always on the way. Yes. And so what am I going to do? I have to take this thing out. What do I need to do? The same program again. Um, my sons, I need a meeting. He called all his sons together. And then everybody came out. And the devil came there. He knows that this one is a distracted force. He will always gather around when I'm making an agenda with my people. And so the moment he said, I need a meeting with my sons, the devil showed up. We don't even know what he discussed with his sons, but we know what he discussed with the devil. And the first question he asked him was, how are you? How did I know? Because he said, where have you been? And the devil responded, well, I'm fine. I've been to and fro the world. They, they were gisting. This is a conversation. I've been to and fro going up and down, and then, you know, that's my ministry. I've just run it. fantastic. So, ah, have, have you heard about my servant Job? Because we don't know what he discussed with his sons. This was a conversation between God and the devil. We're supposed to be enemies. You see, at the highest level of power, oh my God, I wish I have time for that. At the highest level of power, the concept of enmity is relative. They say Russia and America are fighting. And yet, the CIA gave Russia insight to defeat terror inside Russia. Yet, they are fighting. You don't understand what I'm saying. At the highest level, there's no fight, there's interest. Yes, sir. That's all. The concept of enmity, you need to understand. The enemy is a tool and he has to be engaged because there are things nobody can do in your life except an enemy can do it. And you need that enemy to play his role so that you can move to your own destiny. Let me tell you something. God understands this and so he put the devil there and said, have you seen my servant Job? That's a unlocking, coding his agenda inside the ministry of the devil. And the devil said, ah, I know him now. That one has sleep in motion. I can't. If you want, you are the one protecting him. You say, how am I protecting him? Say, is it not that Job? You take your edge. I will deal with him. You say, yeah, try. 
And then he knows it, he can't do, the devil is incapable of doing good. He's incapable of repentance. So he went into Job and attacked Job. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known, they would not have attacked Job at all. Because at the end of all the attack of the devil, the Bible says the latter end of Job was greater than his beginning. What's your name? Your name is Fred. I don't care what the devil is doing in your life. What's your name? At the end of what the devil is doing, your latter end will be greater than your beginning. I don't care what you think you are doing or what is going on. All you need is to calm down. Take ice water and cool down. You are running a program, a script is running in your life. God is in charge. The Bible says it declares the end from the beginning. The end of the show is known already. And let me tell you something and never forget this. Never forget this. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. That's what the Bible says. A lot of times we don't understand what's going on. And so we surrender to our circumstances. If you can stay true to this type of thinking, the Bible says to subvert a man in his course of this the Lord does not approve. The devil is attacking you with systems and structures. You are going to attack him in the spirit. And God is saying, these guys don't get it. When I responded to the devil, did I, tell, did I go and announce in the spirit? Or I sent somebody from the spirit to give them a physical instruction. Take the child and go to Egypt. When they attacked Moses, was it not the same strategy? What did I tell him to do? Take the child, wrap it up, put him in the water. Somebody's going to pick him up. And right there in the palace of Pharaoh, the deliverer of Israel was being raised. That is God coding his agenda right under the arms of his enemy. Have you not read that you will eat in plenty and be satisfied and pray the name of the Lord your God? The Bible did not say you will build anything away from your enemies. As a matter of fact, at the level of power, if you cannot mentor evil, you can't grow. Evil must surrender to your wisdom for you to control the system. The problem with you Christians in this system is that you are so holy, you can't mix with the devil. Don't you know that the more spiritual you are, the more relatable you should become. If you are so spiritual and you cannot relate with the kings and the evil system of this world in such a way that they have the opportunity to have divine wisdom in observable view, how can they know you are superior? The Bible says, I prepare a table before you away from your enemies, behind the door of your enemies. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. If you cannot eat on the same table with them, you are small. Do you understand what I'm saying? And what did they attack you with? Shongo, Onomila, Amadiola. What is Shongo? Shongo is a human genius who, could, who, who was so skillful in his time, he understood some connection between eternal and fire. And he brought fire out of his mouth. That's his only skill. You must know that Shango committed suicide. Shango committed suicide. Shango actually committed suicide. You don't understand. God committed suicide. This guy is a human being. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to come to that place and know that all of these things, when, if Shango was powerful, or Romila, or Madiora, where were they when they colonized you? When the white man came here, why didn't Shango defend you? You know why? There's no shared belief. Because there must be shared belief for ignorance to take force in two entities. So, to whom you yield yourself to obey, the same shall be your master. In the thing, there's no mastery. 
but your yieldedness is the inventor of the mastery over you. And when you yield, they shared belief. So for Shango to work for both of us, both of us must believe Shango can work. Once I don't have that belief, even if I'm not born again, Shango cannot work. So when the white man came here with gunpowder, we brought Shango out, it didn't work because there's clash of belief. So they defeated Shango easily, not with Jesus, but with gunpowder. The time you bring Jesus into the scene, you should, your wisdom should be melting terrorism. From your wisdom, we should, met, met, we should humble the leaders of Boko Haram. By simple communication, those are the type of ideas we wait for in God. So you have to transcend the smallness of some of the things. The reason why we can't make these moves is because these moves are quoted in our own selfish desires. And I'll close on that. Jesus said in the book of James, you don't have because you don't ask. He said then, even when you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you want to fix yourself. You are asking a means. You are depending on your pleasures, if you align your desire with my own desire and ensures that in your prosperity, the kingdom will take advantage. What is the advantage of the kingdom in your prosperity? If you make it now, what will we gain? God has no gain. It's just you, your family, and your friends. If in your success now, you are going to buy the whole of Festac and put it for some heavy crusade and book halls and put ACs and do stuff for the kingdom, you find God aligning with God cannot play second fiddle to anybody. If God is the owner of your business, you'll be number one in your industry. The problem is God is not, he's not number one in your business. So your business cannot be number one. You are settling God by the side. He's not the owner. If he's the owner, you ask him before you do anything. And then you settle him first. Or can, you pay, can, you pay, can you pay yourself as a staff and not pay the, the company? <laughs> so let's forget about analysis. Of, come on now. Have I helped you? Are you sure? Yes, sir. Rise to your feet. I need to close. I just realized time is gone. Rise to your feet. Rise to your feet, everybody. I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. Listen to me. Broaden your options. We live in the realm of options. Options are designed to be infinite. Your programs lie to you and tell you what you see is the only option. We that we carry the Spirit of God, we are the ones with the capacity to create options. Because the spirit of innovation lives on our inside. We don't have sense. Sense is in us. God does not have wisdom. He is the wisdom. God doesn't have healing. He's the healer. God doesn't bring deliverance. He's the deliverer. Am I talking to you? Lives on your inside. You should never be clueless again. You should never look for what to do anymore in your life. If anything occurs to you, don't tell me you are looking for what to do and you've not done what you see. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it. Stay in the realm of options. Let me tell you something. Your choice, your power to choose is the instrument of your slavery. Choice is what the system uses to perpetuate your slavery. Listen to this. Listen to this and never forget it. The goal of choice is to empower you to take a good seat as a slave. When slave trade came, what was it trying to do? To control your choice. We'll tell you what to do, how to do it, what to do it with. When the human mind finds out 
that you are trying to manipulate him, he will reject that oppression. He will die than take that oppression. If you want to manipulate a human being, you must install your control as a virus so that he's not aware that that's what you are doing. When we rejected slave trade, they brought it to colonialism. Colonialism was doing the same thing, trying to control your choices. What did we do? We rejected it again. It became military governments. And then, control your choices again. What did we do again? We rejected it. It became strong men in politics, in democracy, in Nagbada. What did we do again? We rejected it. We have continued to reject every known human manipulation. I don't know if they ever met. I don't know if they spoke. But the power centers must have said to themselves, if we continue to attack their choices, they will continue to reject it. We need to do something else. What we now need to do is employ motivational speakers, employ authority figures, employ religious leaders. Let them remind them, your choice is your power. Your choice is your goal. Let nobody control your choice. Vote. Your vote is your destiny. Let nobody control your vote. Let nobody buy your vote. Let nobody control your choices. Rather die than give your choice away. Feel powerful around your choice. Protect your choice with your life if need be. You control the choice. Feel cool that you are in your choice. We take charge of the options. So if I ask you to choose between two fools, what's the power of your choice? I have arrested your choice by my power over the option. And so you are controlling voters' card. What do you call it? PVC. You control PVC. Somebody is working in party administration. Party administration is more powerful than PVC because that's where the candidates emerge from. And when party administration gives you 16 fools, what is the power of your choice? You are going to make a choice between 16 fools and your choice has been arrested. Whether you call it PDP, whether you call it APC, you are choosing us. Power center at the highest level is non-partisan. It's interest-driven. And so the real power centers are not APC, they are not PDP, they are one. And what they do is for us by us. And they create options so that whichever one you choose, you are choosing them. Now, listen. This is a wisdom that works anywhere. Somebody told me I don't like Facebook. It's to everybody. I prefer Instagram. You are choosing Mark Zuckerberg. He owns the two. Somebody said, Go TV is too cheap, man. You have to be on DSTV. It's the same company you are choosing. Three crowns is too cheap, man. I need pure milk. It's the same company you are choosing. I prefer the luxury of, of Lexus to Toyota. It's the same company you are choosing. Come on now. You are locked in the options, but you create none. And so some of you are at a level now where you've built a business to a level. Keep it going. You need to build the luxury version of it. And begin to sell. This one is for the rich alone. And this one is for the masses. And this one is... Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you sure? In everything you do, look for options. Let me tell you. There's something called petrock. Have you heard about petrock before? Petrock? Petrock is ordinary rock. It's just a stone that somebody began to sell as a pet. The narrative was a stone, a pet needs to be taken care of. You have to clean the poo-poo, you have to take it for a walk, you have to manage a pet. So he said, people want to manage a pet, but what if the pet does not breathe? That's an easier pet. So he took ordinary stone and started packaging it and was selling it for $4. In less than how many months, they sold 1.4 million pieces. Do the maths. At $4. Ordinary stone. There's always an option, man. Nonsense can sell. Zero does not mean nothing. Zero can mean something depending on the narrative you tie around it. 
Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg is creating a new type of cryptocurrency now. And he's organizing with all the big financial gateways in the world, from Visa to all of that. And what is he trying to do? To create another currency that can rival the dollars. Look at what human beings are thinking about. And then all you want to do is to buy a perfume and buy a shoe or to eat in Mr. Biggs or to have shawarma or to drive a car or to have my own house at age 40 or to fly business class. Somebody owns the plane. To travel abroad one day. There are, there are people living in that country already and they are poor, some of them. Come on now. Have I helped you tonight? Are you sure? Are you sure? Heavenly Father, everybody raise your hands today. Raise your hand this way. I want to pray for you. Put your two hands up. It's not in the hand raising, it's in your faith. That's just a symbol, okay? So don't get it wrong. Now this is it. I place a demand on the grace of God upon this house. The David Christian Center. I place a demand upon God's servant, Pastor Chris, Pastor Midred, and all the leaders in the house. And I join my faith and all the graces upon my life. Tonight, I release you into clarity. Amen. You see, when you know better, you do better. Amen. From tonight, you begin to see differently. Amen. You begin to perceive differently. Amen. The old things you thought you understood will take a new format and a new shell. Amen. Your eyes are blessed because they see. Amen. Your ears are blessed because they hear. Amen. And to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Amen. You will never be stranded you will always know what to do. Amen. New vistas, Amen. new frontiers, Amen. new strength, Amen. new geography, Amen. new power. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now receive it where you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive that grace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Receive it in Jesus' name now. Amen. Begin to pray in the spirit, everybody. Begin to pray in the spirit.